then I knew. I made a decision, I had a vision right there and then that before 30 I will have my own business. Find a profound purpose beyond money for your business and your life and you'll be surprised at how much money follows. If I didn't have a midlife crisis, I would probably have continued to just serve my own ego. Vision is interesting. It doesn't matter whether you achieve it as long as you live towards it every day. Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put a kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And for those of you who are new to the show, please stay tuned. We are going to have such an amazing chat today, and I hope that you're going to feel so inspired. But before we introduce our guest for today, I would love my assistant to give us some help here. Alexa. Can you tell us a joke? Why are grizzlies such good hikers? They only carry the bare necessities. You are very cheesy, very lame. Okay, Alexa, can you rap? My name is Alexa, and I'm here to say, I'm the baddest AI in the cloud today. Your responses are fast, but mine are faster. Sucker speech engines, they call me master. <laughs> well done, girl. That's amazing. Tell us, Alexa. How do you write a book? Here's what I found on reference.com. The only way to write a book is to sit down and write. It may seem self-evident, but the first draft of a book, from which comes everything else, can only be achieved by sitting down, writing and forgetting about any consequences. Other steps in writing a book include conceptualizing, outlining and editing. Thank you, Alexa. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They are not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them, because they can change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Pepe, welcome to the Carmen Murray Show. It's an absolute honor. You encompass everything about that quote for me. And um, it's a privilege to have you here. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm honored. Awesome. So let us take it a step back. I'm on Twitter going through my feed and I don't know when I connected with you but I just saw a feed with your book and I noticed again and you had the quote about your dad and that quote when I saw it it's just my heart sank into the bottom of my shoes and I was like I have to have you on the show and for the past I would say two or three years I've been watching Joe Public I'm you're the founder of, of, of Joe Public and you guys soaring Cebu 2.0 that ad made me buy chicken licken for the first time I have to tell you <laughs> so it works <laughs> it, it, it really worked That's I actually great. in one of my podcasts I talk about it but you have really transformed what you're doing in the industry and you're very unique and very different in your team having dealt with you guys in the past. 
But then you sent me the book and I started reading it and it was like life opened up. All of a sudden, there's just so much more depth to you. So let's start from the beginning. What was it like growing up? Sure. It's interesting, I suppose, almost a bit like the news. There were good moments. There were amazing moments. I particularly remember the first moment seeing my mother, which is bizarre because I couldn't have been older than three or four months. So to have a sort of just a memory, like a visual memory of that, I suppose there's no words and thoughts at that age. I remember a flash of of really pleasant times with my father in a swimming pool and maybe once on a beach. I know there's a picture of us fishing together. But in general, I remember the the fighting. And now having a boy of 10 and seeing what happens when I fight with my wife, like when we have a verbal disagreement, which at its most intense is probably one hundredth of what I experience. And I see the impact on him just when we like mm-hmm. at that level. I realize how severe it must have been. It was never physical violence as in he never physically hit my mother. But the abuse and the violence and the throwing of plates and the breaking of windows and the mm. smashing of doors mm. and the incident, the sort of infatuation with, with guns and his gun mm. and pulling the gun mm. and cocking the gun. Mm. And so there were two key incidents which in a way I packed deep in my unconscious which came up as I wrote the book. Mm. So even to me to confront those moments again and checking it with my sister checking it with my mother. Um, yeah, so intense. But not ever looking at it as intense. I suppose when you grow up in it, it's like your norm. Mm. Um, it was not to 14. 14, they finally divorced. And having opened my mind and my heart to these sort of stories, I'm aware of many, 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 many stories far worse. Mm. And we each have our stories, so that was mine. As a little boy, mm. going through all of this, what was your way of escaping when those incidents happened? I think my imagination, so which led to me telling, fabricating these incredible fables, which also through writing the book, I started processing and realizing why certain things happen. Because I was teased for three years I think two years, maybe two years, because in sub A and sub B, which is grade one, grade two, I was telling these stories at school about this incredible person my father was. Mm-hmm. So I think that sort of level of imagination, he was a spy and it was deeply true stories, importing little small TV, like really hectic things and the kids coming to visit to see all these f- stories. So I think that must have been escape, make up a fantasy yeah. world. But I also didn't want to make it sound like it was all bad because then on the other side I had this mother who was completely protective of us and trying to keep us in a cocoon and trying to keep up the facade and mm. always being perfect in front of his parents or perfect in front of people. And I suppose that's a norm in any society. Outside the home everything looks perfect. You never know what happens behind closed doors. So. Mm. It must be hard also when when you start confronting the truth Mm. and confronting the deep things and you know having your family and your siblings witness and to listen to that and and relive it Mm. how did they accept your book and all of the information that you shared in the book i see these things as a massive gift today i really do none of my context i see as something terrible it's almost like it was perfectly planned to play out I even look at what I've got today and I look at the perfection of my child and I know he wouldn't be exactly that if it wasn't for all that happened before. Every single, so you start seeing the perfection of life. I've got remarkable sisters, my two siblings. The second one was born almost at the end of of that sort of drama. You Um, called her the post office. Yeah, <laughs> the post office. The, the daughter of the postman. <laughs> the postman, because, yeah. <laughs> because she's so beautiful and she's so clever and she did so well at school and she was an athlete. So she was she's all the stuff perfect. that the two older siblings weren't. So it's like, <laughs> who are you? And she's got blue eyes with the brown eyes. I'm like, who are you? I don't know if that really worked out. But we know she is the daughter of my dad. Um, we, we share certain traits. But as for my older sister, she's similarly resilient. So I think you learn 
to be super resilient. And I think that balance of what my mum brought in and with that came its own problems, like mm. overly trying to put on a facade, so overly trying to make us look always good, mm. overdressing us, always having to look smart, which played a role in me not feeling good enough as an adult, more so than the the father issues. So super complex. Mm. But I've learned that's where real deep growth happens is when you confront these things and you mm. deal with them and you grow because mm. you grow in so much knowledge and, and experience. It's almost that, that whole thing of not being a victim but a victor and, mm. and recognizing what's happened and choosing to excel. I mean, my first thought reading through the book was, what was this defining moment for you to say, this is what my life is going to be like. This is my purpose. There's two stages to it. The one thing that came out of that situation and then being surrounded with more affluent friends and some rich friends was wanting to have more. So I started working early for money and I made money. So always at cash at school. I bought my nice hi-fi. I bought my nice motorbike. I kept up with the Joneses. <laughs> and, and I did. Uh, I it's like me admitting that I love the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the truth. So, so that whole first step. So out of this sort of situation was born this resilience, this crazy drive, being exposed to my mother's two brothers who are self-made, very, very exceptionally um, successful by monetary terms, entrepreneurs sort of seeing them, seeing what they've created from nothing because they also, they came from less. Mm. They started working mm. at like 14 years of age, left school in San at six. But so it gave me this work ethic and this drive, but it was very self-serving for the most part of my adult life all the way to the age of 38, 39. So, so on the one side, if I didn't have a midlife crisis, I would probably... I've continued to just serve my own ego. Mm. I wouldn't be sitting here because I wouldn't write a book to serve other people because mm. I would just be interested in making money for myself. Mm. Mm. So there was a fundamental midlife crisis that, that changed my course. Wow. So always talented, always hardworking, really good at what I do, mm. but very self-serving. I'm sure that this book has, has really inspired many people because you go through various stages, right? So, so you go through this background. One thing that I, I mean, from my personal perspective, we didn't grow up with the means and it was always the known thing when you went to school. Like you were different because there was the in crowd that always had the best stuff, always with the early adopters, with all the cool things. And gets to you at some point and my parents didn't have money to send me to varsity and yet I had the ability to do well. And that moment when I realized I can't go to varsity, it's almost like my whole life crashed down. Mm. And it was like, I'm never going to have a career. But then I actually woke up and I was like, I'm going to change my stars. Mm. Whether people like it, whether people think I'm forceful and I'm abrasive, I don't care. I'm going for what I'm after. And I don't know if you would agree with me, but I feel that people that go through very tough circumstances in their lives build a different type of tenacity, a different way of looking at life. Would you agree with that? I'm trying to figure that one out because you can be one of two things, exactly like your parents or exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. So, And I have found quite a lot of people that grow up in that situation actually go the wrong way. I would imagine if the world is as balanced as I'm experiencing it, it's probably like a 50-50. Half people, I could have maybe fallen into that same trap, mm. being an alcoholic today, abusing my wife. Mm. I chose to be the opposite. Mm. I suppose it depends on what your destiny is. 100%. Yeah. And also that moment that you come to your senses. You you get that turning point, that choice. Yes. And you can choose the one road or the other one and to your own story you chose the victor, the path yeah. of the, vic the victor. 100%. Something that really fascinates me is when I asked you earlier on about going through these things, like how did you cope with it? And you spoke about imagination. Mm. And Einstein, we all know, is a big fan of imagination. I think every time when he tried to learn something, he did it in storytelling through fairy tales and taught his students. It was with fairy tales. And... 
the one thing that I find fascinating is that that moments that happened earlier on in your life where you created this world has emerged into this beautiful creative mind mm -hmm. that now, boy, I saw it early on, the creative chef, right? Mm -hmm. So would you say that that has influenced the creativity that exists within you and the way that you look at life through different lenses? Mm, it must have. We don't, we don't know anything for a fact in this world. I've also learned that. We know that we get born, we know we die. But we kind of have our own belief systems mm. and I almost believe that the, the one who believes enough in his or her own point of view, they'll win. But I also am open to change my point of view. It must have played a role. I mean, that question you asked me, I've never thought about it. The question came out of the blue and I'm like, geez, I wonder. And then I had to come up. But that's what came up for me. Mm. So, and I do think I referenced to it that there was an advertising mind there or there was a mm. mind that could create stories. And I'm very attracted to stories and deeply human connecting stories. Mm. I don't think I'm necessarily the best storyteller. But when I think about it, sometimes when I stand up and I take the time to get over myself and tell a story, I can tell a story really well. Mm. So it must have played a role. Oh, no, for sure. I can no see, I can, I can see yeah. it. It's, it's just yeah. like formed a pattern for you. Very interesting. Yeah. One thing that really interests me is the entrepreneurial journey. Mm. Having that opportunity this year, I'm very conscious of the fact that starting your own business is not for yeah. <laughs> for anyone it's hard what made you decide to do this i was never ever in my own view good at anything at school sport i was always in the in the like the cd team in fact i didn't excel at any sport at school for whatever reason i just didn't i was a d student so very average student Maths, I was exceptionally good at. It's the only subject that I actually took to matric as a high grade. Yeah, it's a natural talent of mine. It freaks out people at work. Really? It's not my title <laughs> to be good at maths. It will Maybe freak. you should become a data scientist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, the numbers thing is amazing. I, I love numbers. But numbers are also creative. Mm. And I use them creatively. But when I discovered art, but I met this random person who must have been doing a camp on the border of Angola on the last day of being in the army, catching a, a flossy, a big C-130 Hercules back to South Africa. I mean, this is a massive, <laughs> massive plane. And there's two of us in the back of it. I mean, I'm just thinking the capital, the money wasted on that. Like, why would you fly an empty plane with two people back to South Africa? I mean, it must <laughs> have cost insane. like hundreds of thousands of rands of <laughs> jet fuel. And this guy had a portfolio with him. And when I asked what it was, he said a graphic designer. Also, never completely understood. But for a short stint, my dad worked for Rembrandt as a wine bottle label designer. So there's already a bit of an ah. overlap there. But I intuitively knew that's what I want to do. And I had to find a place to go and study it. And I could only get into an art school called the Ruth Brown School of Art in Cape Town because I didn't have the grades to get into tech. Mm. I didn't have a matric exemption. I got a D on average and then an A for maths, which is bizarre. But the stigma behind that as well is like, you feel stupid because you haven't achieved those things, but it's just showing you the problem in the school system. Well, that's another complete two-day show. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me going. Like that's another, and I'm on a mission with that. I am on a mission with that. But yes, absolutely. So, so you graded at school, so now you feel not good enough. Yeah. So th that's already perpetuated, already not feeling good enough because of things that happened between 0 and 14 mm. at home, sure. having to look good for the grandparents, not good enough. Now at school, not good enough. Not in the right team, not good enough. Not good. So it's just perpetuated. Yeah. So now I find that I'm excellent at this thing called art, and I excel. And suddenly I'm top of my class three years in a row, sure. naturally, because I'm pouring myself into this thing because I'm so good at it. And suddenly I become good at sport because my self-confidence goes up, which is amazing. amazing. And then I knew. I made a decision. I had a vision right there and then that before 30 I will have my own business. Wherever it came from, I just knew I was good enough at the very least to have my own business by 30. So when 29 came, because I'm very goal-orientated, I knew it was time. And I said, well, time to start thinking about what I want to do. And that's where it started. 
The other day I, I interviewed, I don't know if you know, Herman Singh, uh, MCN Head of Innovation for Africa. Um, and we were talking about these monolithic powers like organizations that don't have change embedded in everything that they do. So mm. what they would do is an organization would start, they would find out what works, then they build the SOP manuals, mm. and then they incentivize everybody and they say, this is the way that you're going to do it. And if you're not going to do it this way, then you get disciplined. So they copy this whole element of this is how you're going to do it. Mm. And if you don't, out you go. And the problem with that is that businesses cannot change, and especially at the pace that we, we're at now. And this takes me back to your moment. And in the, the conversation we had was businesses need to get back to the point of being a startup. In that moment, being a startup, starting your business, what lessons have you learned there that you believe the audience and everybody that's listening in should pay very close attention to? So just for the record, when we started, there were three of us, um, but ultimately there were always two of us. So two people were attracted to this startup idea. Myself and Gareth has gone the way. The third partner went his own way. And then we started to attract like-minded people since 2006, almost like naturally coming into our folds. There's probably about, I would say, at the core of this business, five, six, maybe seven max really the core mm. and then all our other people who play their roles but if I have to say the most significant insight which I had to come back to mm. over the last three years is how we complicate business mm. we complicate it you start simple I mean we started takeaway advertising which is based on a restaurant I think the, a restaurant is probably the best to model a corporation on mm. you've got exceptional food you have to have second to that exceptional service and third to that an environment that's pleasant. That's all you need. And I've seen through the years over the course of 15, 16, 17 years how easy you can go off that mm. path. And our mission now is to get back onto that simplicity. I mean, if you look, and I've, you referenced, you started the show with reading probably one of the most profoundly written copy for advertising mm. that was written in 1998 it was for it's when steve jobs came back to mm. apple yeah and that's the first piece of communication you put into the market it was for five years eh? this ad was running for five years was, to this day people must view the yeah. ad a thousand times every single day it is just sure. so magnificent and and intelligent but that's steve Jobs's vision and there you got it you went back to simplicity um, and look at apple today mm first trillion dollar business in terms of value i think we complicate business great product great service the money comes naturally mm. after that yeah because i i think that's the the key to success is keeping it simple and know what you're good at mm. and i must admit for the past two or three years i've seen a tremendous shift mm. just for the record a few years ago, I would say three and a half years ago, I did apply, well not apply, I actually emailed because I wanted to work for you guys. Mm -hmm. I'm in general, I'm not an agency person. I don't like working. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not my vibe. I'm more of an entrepreneurial person. And there was just something about Joe Public that I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Very much a family environment. And there's just something very, very different about it. Anyway. For me, I think that um, in the past two or three years, and I've always looked at what you guys are doing, Epica Awards, and when you win your stuff, and when you go to Cannes, mm. you guys have really been nailing it for a while. And I mean, I, last year, when it was Chicken Licken, the mm. astronauts, you nailed it. It was one of the most amazing projects or campaigns that you put together, and then not to mention Cebu 2.0. And I think what you're saying is, is so true is to go back to the roots of where your meaning was. Simon Sinek talks about it so beautifully where he says, start with your why. Mm -hmm. When you understand your why, the rest will automatically, you know, uh, manifest itself. One thing I've noticed in, in the book that I think also shows, because I think there's definitely a connected culture that you have within the organization or within Joe Public. But then outside of that is also how you project your clients to through your creative work, how you project your culture to even to the consumers. Mm. If you could give any advice to companies to build a better culture, what, what would it be? 
So that answer is going to lead to the core reason behind this book. And I've seen this. So I've experienced with our growth and also for eight years of our journey being part of international New York listed entity, I've learned how the entire world has become bottom line driven, mm. like bottom line obsessed. Mm. I sat for eight years in board meetings where the first question is, let's look at the bottom line, let's look at the margins, let's look at the little this, little that, oh, the, the, the overhead to this ratio, the staff cost to this ratio, the ratio, 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 and that takes up 90 minutes of the time, and then that's almost the end of it. And I've experienced that in so many businesses that I engage with, this obsession with shareholder value. Mm. Now, what I find interesting is the net result on a large scale, if you just pull back a little bit, is 80% of a world that cannot eat. Mm. Now, if anyone tells me that that makes sense, then I'll go, well, we need to check our sensibility. So that was the first thing I became aware, like this this obsession with bottom line and shareholders' return. So even when you go into product innovation, you go, okay, how can we do this product innovation in order to make more money? Well, if you're going to say, how can I go into this product innovation to serve my customer to the absolute best of my ability? I can promise you'll make 10 times more return. Mm. So the most profound thing that I found is to find a greater purpose, A, for your life, just as a human being. And then if you are fortunate enough to be in business and you've got control of that business, is to find it for your business, is to really search and find the deep, deep meaning because our creative product is actually inspired by our greater purpose as a business. Our culture is inspired by our greater purpose. Our values are inspired by it. Our vision is inspired by it. I don't think you can have a profound vision without a profound purpose. The core of the book leads towards that insight is that there's this thing called purpose, which everyone talks about. Mm. It's been um, global sort of talk since 2011. I don't think anyone's really experienced it. And unfortunately, if you want to experience it, you almost need to lose your business, mm. which is what we've done. Mm. I lost my business, mine Gareth's business, well, our collective business now. I almost lost my marriage. I lost my health. And I had to go that low to find greater meaning, which is why I had this midlife crisis and I turned my life around. It doesn't sound like a crisis to me. No, it's a bloody good crisis. <laughs> it's a positive crisis. It was an amazing yeah, crisis. The little moment yeah. is right. It's like amazing. Well, you know, it says there, the one chapter says the worst thing that can happen is the best thing. So I know that for a fact. So in the moment, it feels like the worst because there's nothing, nothing worse than as an Afrikaans male that's in my DNAs, I have to look after my family. Mm. I know the world's mm. changing. Mm. I mean, lots of female entrepreneurs coming up. Lots, <laughs> lots of them. And, and and the majority of our leadership in our business are women. Awesome. Yeah. Love so, that. Now, fact. Now, now I'm even a I'm bigger telling, ambassador. Well, we've got six, seven businesses now and all seven the MDs are female. <gasps> Love it. Amazing. And it happened naturally. So it's also I find that interesting. But find a profound purpose beyond money for your business and your mm. life and you'll be surprised at how much money follows. I totally agree with you. A few years ago, um, so I started, I think I would say three years ago. I, so I come out of a more of a um, technology background, mm. mobile, um, and I'm now obsessed with AI and chatbots and all of the cool, sexy stuff. Um, and of, of course, data science. Mm. And I do love the way that, um, like Leonardo da Vinci, when he used to do his art, he used to combine science and art. So he was an engineer, but he was mm. also an artist. And that is how he used to combine um, his art. And and I feel that in the era that we're living in, that's what it's all about. It's like we've got all these amazing tools and it's how how do we bring it all together um, to, to do some fascinating things. So I found that there was this, this challenge, right? You go to clients and you talk to them and you say to them, we have to do this. This is such an incredible opportunity for the business. This is how the campaign works because customers will love to engage with the brand, for example, via this specific technology. They don't buy into it and you're like, this is not getting anywhere. So what I decided to do is do an annual free masterclass. Mm -hmm. 
And the masterclass, first one that I did was I took Cannes Lions mm-hmm. Festival and I took the category of mobile mm-hmm. and I unpacked all of those categories. What is the technology? How does it work? And the case studies. And I did a press release on Biz Community and I said, I'm doing a free masterclass. I had over 90 clients that booked this masterclass, over 5,000 business professionals in three months. And I was like, yeah, there's something here. Cool, I like this. And this is where I started discovering myself. And there was a lot of talk, I think, in 2014, 2013, 2014, Cannes Lions Festival about purpose Mm -hmm. and driving purpose. And I was like, I'm a big fan of Cannes Festival. It's on my bucket list to go. But one of the things was I want to do something special. And I put a masterclass together, the fundamentals to disrupt and delight by activating brand purpose. Mm -hmm. And I did that, 100 clients book, and I was shocked to see when I went to go and do these masterclasses how big the disconnect is. Cannot get rid of this idea that we need to make money. Warren Buffett, the other day, he made that announcement where he said, shareholders, you guys need to stop looking at next quarter's numbers and what the numbers looks like because you are losing sight of the future and the strength And when I did that, because I'm a brand purpose activist, Mm. is how on earth can brands just worry about money and not make sure that there's 30% of people out there that doesn't have running water? Mm. This shouldn't be happening. It's a basic human right. Why are brands not getting involved? Why does my brand value or my tagline need to match what good I'm going Mm. to do? Do something good and make a difference. What's your view on it? Well, firstly, I agree 100%. So I'm aligned to your point of view. But I think if you want fundamental change, so you know, this country went through fundamental change. Mm, mm. To go from apartheid to the new South Africa, that's pretty significant change. And I think when that level of change, like normal change, probably quite sort of not flat, but like very, probably like 5% change year on year. When you go through deep stuff, you probably change like 50% overnight. Mm. I think the world is perfect the way it is at the moment because it's it's evolving consciousness. So it needs to be so bad in crisis that there's new thinking that comes. Mm. No, there's always new technology out of war. Mm. So I think we're at war with ourselves at the moment with, geez, something is wrong, but we're not ready to listen. And I've been thinking, why don't we listen? Because it makes so much sense. I mean, we talk about it, you realize it makes so much sense. You know, how can a person build a 350 million US dollar house in LA? Yeah, like, insane. It's like 5 billion rand for a house. Why would yeah. you do that? I mean, you can have like a 20 million rand house would be the still pretty significant. The water running through there would probably serve it's like, courts of Africa. It's insane, but... I've been thinking about it and I, and I realized when I learned out of um, PET training, which is parent effective training, funny where you can learn like significant things <laughs> when you're wanting to deal with a <laughs> crazy little 10 year old, an incredible little 10 year old who's just a little bit nuts like his dad <laughs> and his mother. But and his mother. <laughs> there's a model, a little circle with a line in the middle and it says emotion and thinking. Yeah. And when emotion goes up, thinking goes down. So, and that's what happens with anyone. As soon as you get emotional, your reasonable thinking disappears and you cannot reason with that person. So even as a country, we, there's high emotions. You mm. cannot even waste time to have a reasonable debate. You have to let the emotion just balance again. And what I figured out was, is that fear is probably one of the most powerful emotions. And I think the world is in fear. Mm. And because people are in fear because of this whole money-driven society creates massive angst, massive fear, more to lose, fear, fear, fear. If I say something, I'm going to lose my client. If I say the wrong thing, I'm going to yeah. do this. If I say something to the boss, I'm going to lose my job. If yeah. I do this, I'm going to do that. It's all driven by fear of loss mm. of money. And because of that, there's no thinking. So you can give sure. all the reasons and the logic. The change is going to be very, very slow, but at least it's changing. Mm. You know, you speaking about it, I'm speaking about it. More and more people are going to start speaking about it, consciousness, and then suddenly yeah. we're going to start follow through. Yeah. I saw um, somebody post the other day something that Steve Jobs said that if you want to be popular as a leader, then go and sell ice cream, right? 
And one thing that I'm learning in my journey, especially and with what you've just mentioned, which is so profound and so true about the whole thing about fear and thinking, is that you need to challenge I need to start saying, hey, this is not okay. Like, I'm all for the Me Too movement. A lot of people have a problem with it. Then if you have a problem, go and sit in the corner. It's not my problem because you don't know my story. There's also being, I am a feminist and a feminist not because I am a bra burning girl. It's because I really believe that fairness should exist. And sometimes having that, we were actually, well, I have these conversations all the time where having the courage to walk away when something doesn't feel right. And sometimes with clients, like as you mentioned, you would go in and say, okay, right, Jesse, we can land this client, you know, how much money we're going to make. It's going to be so awesome. And then, then when you start working on it and you start seeing the morale and things that are not sitting right with you, that your whole being resists. Do you sit there? And say, hey, I'm just going to take the money. What example do you set when you do that? I'll give you an example. I went to Sunday Times Generation Next or Next Generation. This year they had a panel. So they had all these young kids on the stage. And they were playing advertisements from various brands. Were you there? No, but I heard about it. But, but it was interesting. So they had the panel with the kids and... Some of them were 12, some of them were 14 and 16 and so forth. So they played these ads. But before they did that, I said to the marketers in the room, what do you think of this ad? And everybody goes, yay, that is so awesome. No, they think it's ace. And most of the time, 70% of them said, yes, that's great. Even the Nando's ad, you know, the Gupta's one. Mm. And the children and the kids were like, I don't like it. I don't make reference to what they're talking about in this ad. There's no chicken in the ad. I don't understand it. It wouldn't make me buy chicken. They were talking about this family that's about to get in. I think it's the Kia Sportage, but correct me if I'm wrong. Getting in the car and the, the little boy's looking for his keys and all of these things. And they play this ad and the kid goes, I have no idea what's going on there. Like, I don't understand what the keys have to do with him not finding his jacket. And called one of my good friends and I said to her, I had a moment. I realized that the moment we join a business or organization or we sign up a client, we no longer represent the customer. It just changes completely. And I think that's the thin line of being so, so cautious and having your morals and sticking to your guns. You said early on we're doing such great work, but even in a company as motivated, driven, purpose-led as ours, if I had to be honest, I would say 10 in 100 pieces are worth the paper it's printed on. Because we're dealing with this huge process and by committee and not enough autonomy and trust, which is no one's fault, it's just mm. the conditioned world. If that is our ratio, you can imagine what the industry ratio is. And I look at the value of that, just on the above line, it's about 45 billion a year, mm. which 99% is pretty much wasted. And I think there needs to be a huge wake-up call from both marketers mm. and from agency leaders alike to start taking our job seriously. Because in a country with, you said water, but 30 million people can hardly afford to eat, mm. to go and blow 45 billion is a crime against humanity. And yeah. so that's a mission. That's our, I turned 50 on Monday. and what? I'm not, Yeah. You're looking good. Thank you. Oh, oh, my wife said that too, and <laughs> I paid her. But I've got that's my mission for the next quarter century is to really like for as long as I'm in this industry. And NetBank actually, it's amazing how these things come to you with the repositioning of NetBank, see money differently. Mm -hmm. It was a huge shift in my consciousness because I suddenly realized it's one thing to tell our customers see money differently, mm. and the intention of the bank is pure, the intention is. Let's help people to be more sustainable. But to mm. live it, to live the intention, mm. that's another story. And it made me see money differently and see marketing money differently. So I sure. think that's a whole other job to be done there. So that's your legacy project? No, there's something beyond that. What I, is I, that? I'm going to kickstart this thing. My plan is to do a master's in education and maybe a PhD. I must just figure out how I can get into VITS without having formal education. Um, I don't have a degree. I've got a I'm diploma. sure you can. After, I must go and check. Yeah, after 27 yeah. years, after the age of 27 yeah. years. I think so. 
Yeah, it's a new thing. I'm very interested in education and how to infiltrate purpose into business. Mm. I find the only place where you can almost force people is at school. Mm. 12 years that you've got a captive audience. And if you can change the syllabus and teach people about spiritual intelligence and emotional intelligence sure. and resilience and create whole rounded human beings rather than mm. these IQ junkies, yes, then potentially you can change the economy of our country. Mm. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet. With a lot of people around you that support the same cause, and I'm one of those, yeah. so when you embark on that, you give me a buzz. You know, if you look at Elon Musk, he did this thing with his kids where he removed them out of school and was mm. like, no, you're learning the wrong way around. So he would put an engine in front of them and say, take, the, take it apart mm. and then put it back together again because that's not the way to teach kids. And there's so much discussions to have about that. Mm. I mean, I'm involved currently with a school called Robohani Academy mm. and it was one of my friends. Her car got stolen and at that moment, point in time, she was so angry found her car in Force Nervous, and she decided in that moment in time, what am I going to do with this energy I'm feeling? Am I going to channel negative energy or am I going to come and make a change in Force Nervous? And she started the school to help entrepreneurship, to help the unemployed youth, how to build a business. And she has no funding out of their salaries and I got involved and then we have a lot of businesses that started getting involved. And all it takes is you bring yourself, you come and teach, whether it's marketing, HR, finance, all of the skills that they need to have in order to start a business. And then once after three months, they actually get the opportunity through CIPC to go and register their business. And then whoever has helped to teach the class gets to mentor one of these students. That's amazing. And that was my shift in education where I realized there's such a need to share knowledge and to make people's lives different. And it's up to us in the community to make a difference. And other people might not have a passion for it, but once you sit in front of hungry souls that looks at you like, I can do this, I can change my life. And what you're telling me is giving me hope. That is a life-changing thing. And that's why I'm saying I'm supporting you fully on that one. Mm -hmm. And I would actually like to invite you to come and inspire the students with your story, if you would be open to it. I would absolutely be open to it. Because right now we do what we all can do. you know. Mm -hmm. and, and I think I've also learned doing something small or doing something massive is actually doing exactly the same thing. I've got no belief that someone who does something big has done mm -hmm. something any more significant than someone who does something small. I think right now I engage wherever I can to do the little small things because you just, to your point, you don't know who you're touching in that moment mm. with your story. Mm. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking scalability as well. Mm. You know, there's 27,000 schools in South Africa and 22,000 are factually dysfunctional. Sure. Fact. So now when you actually go and you correlate that to the state of the economy and you look at the sort of the upper end being 5%, even less, probably 1%, the middle is like 19%. The bottom end is 80% dysfunction. Mm. It's not sustainable. So if you fix education, you potentially fix the economy mm. over a longer period of time, like over a 25-year block, yeah. but you've got to start. Mm. I don't know where this is going to take me. And I'm also not too freaked out by it because I've learned that vision is interesting. It doesn't matter whether you achieve it as long as you live towards it every day. Because 100%. that's what matters. Yeah. But I've got a sense I can achieve it. Absolutely. I've got a sense. I totally believe in that. I mean, if you look at the Finnish, so yes. look at how they change the economy around by really putting a lot of attention towards education. One of the interesting facts is that the teachers needs to have master degrees. Now. Mm. You can't teach if you're not highly qualified, which is very different to our system and right. how our model works. But I think from my perspective, also hearing your story growing up and you know feeling like a failure because mm. you didn't bring the results – it's an interesting thing because there's hundreds and thousands of kids out there that's going through it right now as we speak and how that system needs to change completely. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's doable, but I do think it needs to be an effort that people need to get together yeah. and bring their forces and help raise funds and do whatever needs to happen yeah. for the future of Africa. I think it's so daunting that people don't really want to think about it, but one of my most like I've got amazing creatives in my studio. 
Of course you do. The one <laughs> who's just had such a good year with us. She's a lady, but it's adding so much value to my life and allowing me a bit of space because she's so good. But I think she must have about 12, 14 years experience and she's earning about 60,000 rand a month. Now that is the same salary and I'm not saying she's not adding value, mm. but a principal in charge of a township school of 2,000 kids and a staff of 50 is earning the same salary with 30 years experience. So that's another issue. I don't understand why teachers aren't paid the same salaries as lawyers because mm. they're probably creating the future lawyers right there. Mm. And then also just the mediocrity in terms of how the system is managed. There's no difference between a poor or a top performer. It's, it's systematic. It, it would be a very interesting thing to apply one's mind to at a, at a more scalable level. Well, that is all about growing greatness. That is another part of it. Yeah, so I do see all the legs and the little feelers coming out of growing greatness. Yeah. I think this book is only the beginning of the journey. From my side, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you here with me. And also, it and for the listeners, this book is raw, heart-wrenching. Um, you go through quite a lot of emotions, but it's really such an awesome book, and especially when you get into the business part of it. And I think there's a big need for entrepreneurship and teaching the skills because it's a very lonely journey and your advice in there. I hope that I can get to pick your brain a bit about some of these questions that I have, but thank you so much. So got a little game that we play. Okay. So it's a 60 second game and in 60 seconds you get 10 questions and you need to answer them as quickly as possible. Your time starts now. Never ever have I. Never, ever have I taken more than one line of cocaine. When last did you make an ass out of yourself? I would say about a year ago that I blushed. I'm trying to think what it was. It's almost like when last about a year ago. Okay. Go, go, go. <laughs> what about is the weirdest thing? No, 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 every day. Every day. <laughs> every day. Because I'm not afraid to make an ass of myself. I'm a bit of an ass. There you go. Cool. What is the weirdest brief you've ever received? Um, for a jewelry store. To sell jewelry. Actually, it was the weirdest execution because it was very sexist. I'm, I'm embarrassed about it. <laughs> Charismatic personality or all the money in the world? Charismatic personality. Worst joke you've ever heard? One that's based on your name, Carmen. Oh my God, I don't want to go there. Group gaming without tech or individual gaming with tech? Group gaming without tech. What kind of... Uh, no, that's not a good question. <laughs> How many did you do? Like five. <laughs> yeah, but listen, we had a lot of talking in between. I got the same got as my matric results. Still, like 30 years later, still D. <laughs> no, it wasn't a D. <laughs> it wasn't a D. Like you got me at Carmen. Like what? Worst joke you've ever heard, Carmen? Can't tell it on your show. Okay, I'm, I'm really intrigued. <laughs> it's, got, it's terrible. <laughs> oh, listen, my name has come up quite a few times today and the meanings behind it. So I'm like, what is going on in the universe today? Anyway, I'm going to finish the questions. Yes. I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite drunken game to play? Oh, man, it's so sweet. It's like spin the bottle. <laughs> That's just, it just came up. So it must have happened like some little sort of infatuation at a young age before I kissed. <laughs> what's the weirdest request that you've ever received to i used to wear bells on my toes of my shoes for many years for about 20 years yeah factually i turned up show for 20 years of my career yeah and once in the pitch <laughs> gareth promised the client if they give us the business i'll dance on the table <gasps> oh no no he said we, we so badly want your business, Pepe will dance on the table and I dance on the boardroom table and we didn't get the business because they said we were too creative. Fact. <gasps> True story. It's not in the too book. Creative. I mean, that's a book on its own. Yeah. Like really? I've got, a, I've got a sentence for you. I learned this when I worked on the ships yes. in Bulgarian. Iskam da igraya varhu masita, which means I want to dance on the tables. The most random thing I know, I just thought well, I'd share it. Well, I've done it. that random thing <laughs> in that language. Um, is cereal soup? Is cereal a soup? Yeah. <laughs> is cereal a soup? <laughs> Cereal's a killer. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> Last question. 
which would probably be the one that's going to inspire me the most, is what was it like going to Can Lions for the first time? I judged the first time. <gasps> and it was in the phase when I was bankrupt and it was the most insecure phase of my life because I flew cattle class over, all the other judges flew like business class. I was just so, so insecure. And I remember I was staying at the Martinez, which is the most beautiful hotel, because I was judged that put us up in this top-end hotel. And I started in that hotel room in the morning, looking at myself in the mirror, saying, I love myself. Wow. I've never stopped. So that's a little bit of a tip. Where the people have got the discipline to do it, 365 days a year is another question. And what was interesting is I blushed the first time I said it. So I looked in the mirror and I went, and I was alone. It was weird. And I went, I love myself. That I love so you. Incredible. You are amazing. And I went blood red. And that showed me the depth, and that's only nine years ago. It showed me the depth of the damage mm. of the human being. And I just persisted. And over time, it became quite easy for me to say, that my two greatest talents are that I'm very humble and I'm exceptional. So, and I can say it with a straight face. Um, so that's a, a, a real insight and a tip. I'm not even sure if I mentioned it in the book. I might have. You're going to have to listen to this podcast because I think the second book is coming. Growing Greatness Again. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to read this book, it's going to change your life. It's Growing Greatness by Pepe Marais. A Journey Towards Personal and Business Mastery. Please, guys, go out there and go and get it. It's really transformative. And then for all our amazing listeners out there, subscribe to the show. Um, you can do that via iTunes. Also, the show is now available on Spotify, CastBox, and all of the other podcast platforms. And then join me and Alexa very very soon so that we can keep you informed and if there's any conversations that you want to hear about or any topics please send us a message and we will make sure it happens have a wonderful day cheers guys you've been listening to the carmen murray show another solid gold podcast for show notes and more episodes Visit solidgoldstudios.co.za slash Carmen Murray.